Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go live. Introducing. This is the Rich Eisen Show. Get the word out. Rich Eisen Show. Live from the Rich Eisen Show studio in Los Angeles. I was shot at basketball, like maybe like April 5th. Can't wait to hear uh, Rasheed Wallace talk to Anthony Davis. I think that's <laughs> that should just be taped. Earlier on the show, author Alan Shipnock, Fox Sports NFL analyst Michael Vick. Still to come. ESPN NBA analyst Jeff Van Gundy. Plus your phone calls and more. And now... It's Rich Eisen. Hour number three of the Rich Eisen Show is on the air. Deshaun Watson spoke today. We have the sound bites. They're coming. Same with Brooks Kepka talking about why he's not joining the Live Tour and won't. And John Rahm had some interesting comments about all that as the U.S. Open has gotten underway, or at least the week has. The U.S. Open begins on Thursday in Boston, Massachusetts. Won't that be interesting? As the first round of the U.S. Open goes down on the same day as Game 6 in Boston, Massachusetts. Lots going on and joining us to kick off hour number three on the Mercedes-Benz Vans phone line. Man, I love listening to Breen and Mark Jackson and this guy. It is just a great listen. It's a lot of fun. I become smarter. And boy, do I love it when he just absolutely lays into floppers because that is the way I feel as well. On the Mercedes-Benz Vans phone line, the great Jeff Van Gundy of the worldwide leader in sports joining us now from the East Coast. How you doing, Jeff? Doing well. How's everything? I'm better for talking to you. Thank you so much uh, for joining um, on, a, on a busy day and obviously busy travel schedule. What do you think of Game 5? What's your impressions now that we're a few hours removed from it, Jeff? Well, I think for the Warriors to win a game where Curry you know, shot the ball so poorly and uh, to win and win easily down the stretch is remarkable. I think the last two wins by the Warriors have been – uh, with their roster composition uh, as remarkable as I remember. I, I just so impressed with um, how they've played and how they've uh, figured out ways to win, you know, really hard-fought games. And uh, I thought Boston was the better, uh, more talented team from the start. And uh, right now I look very wrong. Well, I mean, you could still be right. It just seems that there's – too many turnovers again. And we saw that again last night from Boston. How, how does one fix that? Obviously, Coach Yudoka knows what's up and, and has been very straightforward with his team. Um, but how, how does one fix such an issue? Well, if you, if you want uh, 
low turnover games, you're going to have to be um, intelligent in the way you attack the defense, and you're going to have to make sure that you're not you're eliminating the home run plays and the lack of fundamental plays because there's going to be mistakes in the game, and you're going to have some turnovers, but you got to try to eliminate the fundamental ones uh, of playing in a crowd, and then you know the home run passing plays. Um, are really problematic because they lead to steals and then open court situations. And to me, that's where, you know, Boston has a lot of answers for the Warriors in the half court, but in the full court, in the open court, you know, they just have such good shooting and skill. It's going to be hard for them to get those type of stops. So right now for, for Boston, you know, their best defense is a really sound offense and, they just haven't been able to limit their turnovers enough uh, to keep themselves to win in these last two. And the two games they've won in the series, they've had two, 12 turnovers, and the other three, they've had high, high turnovers. Jeff Van Gundy joining us here post-game five uh, on the Rich Eisen Show. And Wiggins has become a, a, a revelation. Uh, I mean, you, and and the fact that his presence there, interestingly enough, can be traced back to the sign-and-trade away of Durant, and now he's providing that fourth wheel. Obviously, nobody's Durant. He's a unicorn in his in himself. But with Curry and Clay now um, back in the mix and Draymond, Wiggins is providing that crucial fourth wheel for this team, certainly over the last two games. I'm wondering what you've seen from your, from your seat, Jeff. Well, he's been there... Uh, best wing defender and you know he didn't make jump shots last night and missed all six threes I believe but he is attacking the basket and he's being opportunistic offensively playing off uh, the skill level of the other uh, players and defensively he's really uh, done a, a, a fantastic job and the hardest part for players like Wiggins uh, is to find a level of consistency that you can do this night after night. So I felt like after Wiggins played a terrific game four, he may be in for a lesser performance in game five. Uh, but he answered the the bell and he played, you know, he was the best warrior on the floor. It wasn't even close. And in this series, he's been the second best warrior player and that hasn't been close. So um, it looks like a terrific trade. And because of Wiggins and Curry, uh, they're primed to be in position to win a championship. So uh, you have a front row seat to what appears to be, look, it's intense and all NBA finals are this just in, but it seems to be a lot of chirping towards the officiating and you've got a front row seat and the Celtics last night seemed to lose their um, focus. There's no question about it in the fourth quarter. Uh, am I picking up something from sitting on the couch that doesn't exist? But what what can you tell me, Jeff? Well, I would think I, – I really do think that the officiating um, – first of all, I have no problem with people scrutinizing officiating. They're out there just like the teams. They have a huge impact on who wins and who loses. They're all highly compensated – they're the tops in their profession. So I think it's fair game to to scrutinize them. 
But I do believe that teams and our league as a whole have allowed far too much um, confrontational uh, and aggressive conversations. I do not remember like walking onto the court and holding a conference at midcourt time after time. Like it's happening almost every time out. And I think for the Celtics last night, I think what they have to do is really ask themselves, does our constant, uh, complaining, discussion, however you want to term it, does it give our ourselves our best chance to play our best game? And some guys can play very well, running their mouth to the officials. <laughs> Other guys can be distracted uh, very easily. And so I think it's incumbent on the Celtics to really look at how their their behavior is impacting their performance. In their eyes, maybe it isn't at all. Or maybe, in as they study it, it's had a uh, an unnecessary negative impact on how they've played. But there's no doubt that you're picking up on something that's almost uh, impossible to avoid. The every play complaints, the hysteronics of throwing your arms up on every non-call, and... It's. I think it's a bad look for the NBA uh, as a whole. Well, I mean, and and then sometimes when you do it all the time, it, it takes away from the moments where you're actually right. <laughs> and well, and, and so, I, I, Rich, I agree with that, and it's the same thing. And I'm you mentioned flopping. Yeah, it's why I have no sympathy when floppers actually don't flop and don't get the benefit of the doubt. Because if I'm a referee and you're trying to trick me instead of play the game, I am going to be very leery of any contact because I know you're a a known exaggerator uh, and you're going to not get some calls that maybe you should have gotten just because you've tried you know, this trickeration on a nearly every play basis. So I have no sympathy. I have no sympathy for the chronic complainers nor the chronic floppers who don't even get the calls that maybe they should get. Now, and I know I'm talking about the defensive player of the year here, though, but do you think that's what happened last night when Clay had that wide-open three? It sure looked like he extended to shove Marcus Smart, he goes down on the floor, slides damn near to the paint from the three-point circle, and there's no call, and Clay jars an open shot. Did that happen last night, do you think? I did not see the replay on that. Okay. So I didn't have a, you know, it was right in front of us, so I was blocked from the view of the extension. But I've had a lot of people like yourself say it was clearly the extension of the arm. and But I was privy to the timeout. Uh, Marcus Smart, very respectfully and politely, asked the official, uh, you know, about that play, and he said, you flopped. <laughs> and again, because and this isn't a Marcus Smart issue. It's an NBA issue. I thought for a while the NBA had done a good job cleaning up the flopping. They, they started to find 
I haven't seen a fine of a flop in ages. And I think flopping, again, is con- is making a, a huge comeback into the league. And I think our players are very intelligent. If it's not rewarded and it's punished, it will be eliminated. But if they get, if they can sucker officials into calls, they're going to do it. So I think it's really important that the NBA, particularly at this high level of basketball, you, you, you play basketball. You don't try to trick the officials. Well, I guess, and then you can't blame Marcus Smart if he did ask that of the officials and they're like, you flopped, and then he gets called for an offensive foul moments later when Jordan Poole wasn't even touched. Um, I, I wouldn't blame him for losing his cool and something like that in that situation. And then, you know, sometimes I'm just wondering when, when, when coaches use their challenges. Sometimes there's challengeable moments in the second and third quarter and they hold it in their back pocket, right? I'm wondering what your two cents are on something like that, Jeff. I never coached in the challenge uh, era, right. but I think from what I've seen and talked to coaches about, uh, they're going to use it on points scored that they can either get a bucket, and particularly maybe a three-point you know play, um, or they can take you know points off. But I think a lot of guys like to try to hold it in case a star player uh, later in the game gets a, a bad call, just sort of like what Steve tried, Kerr tried to do with, with Draymond, Draymond Green, right. preventing him from getting his sixth. Uh, I think they try to hold on to that. And I think, again, uh, I think everybody would agree foul calls that don't lead to points should be reserved for the stars um, or high-leverage situations. Mm-hmm. But I think most would agree if it involved points, even early in the game, you take it because you don't know if you're ever going to get to a you know late use of the challenge. You may not use it. I don't think Ime used his challenge last night. So um, there are varying thoughts, but I think it always involves stars and points. Jeff Van Gundy here on the Rich Eisen Show. Before I let you go, uh, Jeff, uh, I made a mental note saying I've got to ask Jeff about this when I have him on tomorrow. I'm watching the end of the game. You just mentioned – Draymond Green fouling out and the graphic comes across the screen that Draymond Green's fouled out in three of five final games last player to have such a thing happen during the NBA finals it was Dale Davis of the 2000 Indiana uh, Indiana Pacers you mentioned that stat turning to Mark Jackson I don't know if you did or not but Mark had a, a big problem with it you you called those Pacers a dirty team and well when you're coaching yeah. a team of choir boys like we were in New York at that time. You take offense when the big bad bullies of the block, the Indiana Pacers, are always pushing, shoving, grabbing, holding, and you know, like we followed the rules and we followed the spirit of the rules. Yes, Mark Jackson's Pacer team, you know, they were nasty and, you know, we tried to be above that, but you know, sometimes we couldn't hold our tempers. I got to tell you, uh, Jeff, as a uh, Nick fan, uh, uh, remembering those times, uh, I was applauding from my front row seat last night when you said that. Laugh out loud. And then you- brothers, the Davis brothers were overly physical, 
picking on Charles Oakley, and <laughs> and I I didn't appreciate it. I loved it. You doubled it I, when you said it, and then Mark Jackson had a problem with it. And then the fact that you doubled down by throwing Antonio Davis onto the table in the mix as well at the same time, I, I was just, I was laughing my ass off. That was great. Just great television. Well, I'm, I'm glad I, I gave you some moments of levity, Rich, because uh, I do remember those Pacer teams so fondly, seriously, like just the the, the Davises and, and Reggie and uh, McKee, they competed so hard and were coached brilliantly by Larry Brown, and so yeah, it was uh, it was good times. Absolutely, and that you know, because it does kind of dovetail um, into the conversation you hear certainly on the family of networks uh, at the Worldwide Leader about different eras and whether the current era would get you know their you know asses handed to them by the like ought. Pacers, and I'm wondering what what do you think of that conversation, Jeff, as to whether the players today are uh, it's a softer league in a way in the NBA right now, Jeff. Well, first of all, I misspoke. I said Larry Brown. That was in the '94s. That was Larry Bird. I yes, correct. Myself. Yes, sir. Very legend. But I think this. You know, I'm, I'm looking out, and TNT's doing a, a pregame show from right in front of where we broadcast before we go on. Right. And I see Isaiah Thomas. Right. And Isaiah Thomas was like my first year in the NBA in, I think it was 89-90. We played the Knicks. Uh, Stu Jackson was the head coach. We played them in the second round of the playoffs after beating the Boston Celtics in a game five deciding game at Boston Garden. And he was absolutely murder. He was so good. But the game was so physical and remember, they had Dennis Rodman as their starting three, I believe, at that time. Right. They had no shooting on the floor. And the guy still like got wherever he wanted. So you take a guy like Isaiah Thomas and you put him into the non-hand-check era uh, and the five-out era and the amazing skill that our players have now, and you put shooting around him, I guarantee you he'd be, a, at his prime, a top-five player now. Right? So great mm-hmm. players. uh like Thomas, who are these great competitors, they could play any time. But I really don't have a lot of, I don't know, an appetite for comparing and contrasting eras. Uh, I, You know, to me, comparison is the thief of joy because whatever you say, someone is going to feel diminished. And I really, I don't have, like, that you know, necessity. But I know this, the best teams I ever coached or I ever was an assistant coach of, I believe could play in any era because they had versatility, they could score, they could guard, and they could adapt. Mm-hmm. And if you if you can adapt to different rules and different eras, like Patrick Ewing, he was dominant then, he'd be dominant now. You say how he's going to guard the pick and roll, I say you didn't watch him in his prime because he could guard – he could he could he could contain Stockton. He could contain Isaiah to the extent that anybody could. You know some of the greatest point guards to ever play. So I just really I think greatness uh, can transcend eras, uh, but I just don't have you know it in me to like try to diminish some era uh, to prop up another. 
Jeff, I always appreciate the time, and uh, I'd love to have you back on one time, whether you're out here or not, just on the phone, just going down memory lane, just picking your brain on Riley, Pat, and and and, and the rest of the those Knicks years and your Houston years and just the league in general. Um, and I love listening to your brother, too. Um, I don't know how the hell anybody ever got a word in edgewise around your dinner table growing up, but... <laughs> Uh, I just really enjoy all of the Van Gundy. I'll Gundy's. tell you how that happened, Rich. Yes, we had to raise our hand and ask permission. You talk <laughs> about a different era. Like, that was the uh, be uh, be seen but not heard era. Believe me. <laughs> I bet, man. Well, again, have yeah. a great time with Game Six, and uh, truly, uh, I'd love to have you back on uh, maybe when when things aren't so busy. So, thanks for the call. Okay, appreciate Anytime. it. Thank Take you. Care. That's Jeff Van Gundy right here. By the way, how about him? He's calling these games on ABC. His brother is now part of the top crew, right? It's it's him, Harlan, and and Reggie Miller, right? weren't the th- weren't the three of them calling yeah, the the the, the, the Western so. Conference Finals? Yeah, I know Stan's on the on the top. Stan's great team. too. Yeah, he's great. This should be like a crossover broadcast. Let's put the Van Gundys together and see what they do together. I would watch a Van Gundy cast. A Van Gundy cast would be. Phenomenal, like if anything, like on Food Channel, on the Game Show, just any any type of show. By the way, just just the Van Gundy, right? Just a Van Gundy cast. How about how about a Van Gundy cast of like a Bachelor finale? Yep. Having these guys break down some pop culture thing that they're just surfed right into. All of it. I'm in. I'm telling you, it made me laugh out loud because you just see that stat at the bottom of the screen, Dale Davis, and all of a sudden he goes, dirty team. And Jackson Mark's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what do you mean dirty? And then he doubles down. He's like, yeah, I'll throw Antonio Davis in there too. <laughs> Davis brothers. I would have said the Knicks, they were playing They were playing by the rules. Well, the fact that, that Jeff- manhandled people what like Charles Oakley. Choir boys. Choir boys. <laughs> the fact that Jeff Van Gundy said anyone on this planet picked on Charles Oakley was. I love it. <laughs> that, that was hilarious. All right. So lots of sound bites to play for you folks over the last 39 minutes of this program. When we come back to Sean Watson's press conference, I have not heard any of these sound bites. I will react to them, uh, having watched them and heard them for the first time, like perhaps you will. That's next. And then Brooks Ketka and John Rahm on the live tour from the U.S. Open. Let's talk O'Reilly Auto Parts, people, or as you might know from their jingle, O-O-O O'Reilly Auto Parts. They're in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offers friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs because you know when you need your car fixed, you need somebody who knows what they're talking about and is helpful, has a smile on their face, and gets you back on the road. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you just... Find the right battery for your vehicle. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fix, or a quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice, you will find the employees at O'Reilly Auto Parts knowledgeable, helpful, and the best of all, friendly. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eisen. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eisen. 
What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Back here on the Terrestrial Radio Outfit alongside uh, everything going on in the sports world with NBC Sports on Peacock and also NBC Sports Audio Sirius XM Channel 85. Deshaun Watson has not spoken publicly since March 25th, his introductory press conference in Cleveland, where he was bestowed the best contract in the history of the NFL most player friendly contract in the history of the NFL all of his money guaranteed and also the first year of his contract is designed in such a way that if he is suspended the amount of money that would be suspendable is minimal just 1 million of the 45 other he's 1 million of the 46 total uh is is in a certain uh, manner in his contract that would leave it open to being garnished. The rest of it, Lee can't touch. He gets it. So it couldn't be more friendly. And it's, that would normally make a guy beam from ear to ear, but because of what's going on in his personal life, the introductory press conference of Deshaun Watson looked like a funeral. I think that was my comment when uh, when we were on the air live in the crazy hell going on month of March. Oh, absolutely. He hasn't spoken since then. Since then, though, details of his depositions in the civil suits that have been filed against him have come out. Uh, there's a New York Times story that came out as well last week. Two more accusers are coming. There was an HBO piece uh, on Real Sports on all of this that happened on the night of the Emmy Awards. And we uh, read about it that night and heard about it that night. And apparently other women were at home watching it. And um, a 24th civil suit came out. A uh, civil suit came out based on, I guess, somebody who not even his own attorneys knew about. That was their reaction to her civil suit. The details in her civil suit, the 24th, that came uh it was filed apparently because the woman had watched real sports and said i've got to speak out now and the details in that suit uh uh, i called vile because they are if true vile so now comes a guy stepping to the podium today um made available by the browns and i appreciate him answering the questions or at least facing questions And many of the answers from what I read, uh, again, I didn't see the entire press conference. He can't talk about things because there's a process going on. However, part of that process is answering questions when you are the quarterback of a major NFL team or any NFL team. And the first question uh, that I, I, I find interesting, and I'm eager to hear the answer, the New York Times story written by Jenny Vrentis based on all of their reporting in the Houston area and also in other spots that Deshaun frequented, 66 masseuses, 66 different masseuses contacted by Deshaun Watson over a 17-month span. He was asked today if he thinks that number is accurate. Um, I mean, I can ask that. I, I, I don't 
think so uh, for what me and my attorneys went through. But at the same time, you know, that's a that's more of a, a legal question that I can't really get into details about. Um, so you'll probably have to ask my attorneys and things like that to confirm. Okay, handing that off to his attorneys. Let's move on to the next one, and then we'll take them all as a whole. Again, I have not heard these. I'm, I'm hearing these for the first time with you. He was asked, why should he be believed over his accusers? I understand that question, and I definitely respect it. But I feel like with this environment coming off the football field, it's hard to answer that question, uh, without, especially without talking to anybody on my legal team. Um, but at the same time, you know, I've been honest and I've been truthful about my stance. Um, and that's, you know, I never forced anyone. I never assaulted anyone. So um, that's what, you know, I've, I've been saying it from the beginning. And I'm going to continue to do that and, and until all the facts come out on the legal side. I have to continue to just, you know, go with the process for my legal team and, and um, you know, the court of law. All right. Third soundbite here. And again, I'm being told by our crack staff that this is all indicative of the general tenor of the conversations. These aren't cherry picked. This is just uh, the best indication as to what was asked of him and his answers. Uh, The third one was, uh, did he regret anything that he said at his initial press conference, which he kind of just repeated right there, that he never assaulted anyone, he never forced anybody to do anything, and some of his accusers have absolutely refuted that, that they felt violated. And he was asked if he regretted any of those statements. Uh, I think, yeah, I think that question uh, kind of, you know, triggered a lot of people, not just women in general, but a lot of people from this, you know, in the lead from women to, to males and things like that. And what I was saying is, yes, I, I never assaulted, disrespected or harassed anyone. But at the same time, I do understand that uh, I do have regrets as far as the impact that it's have on the community and people outside of just myself. You know, and that includes my family, that includes this organization, that includes my teammates in this locker room that have to answer to these questions. That includes, you know, the fan base of the Cleveland Browns. That includes males, females, everyone across the, the world, you know. So uh, that's one thing I do regret is the impact that it's have triggered on so many people. And, um, yeah, it's, it's tough to, to have to, you know, deal with. Mm. That's a lot of word salad right there. I, I, I don't know if he can truly answer these questions head on and keep the word salad out of his diet there while these cases are still pending. And he regrets triggering people by saying he didn't disrespect anybody. There are, there's no question he, he, he left women feeling disrespected and, again, Read some of these documents and you tell me if this behavior is any way, shape, or form normal and this behavior is any way, shape, or form could be viewed as respectful. It's just so tough to believe. And again, I say this fully knowing the guy who came out of Clemson that I thought I knew, or hopefully for him, I still do know. It just doesn't, I can't believe we're hearing this. He's not equipped to answer these questions, clearly. 
clearly. 66 masseuses. That is an absurd number. That should be his answer. Absurd. That's absurd. Absurd. 66 masseuses over 17 months. Why would I see 66 masseuses over 17 months? Why would I contact 60, 66 masseuses over 17 months? I'm Deshaun Watson. I'm the star quarterback of the Houston Texans. I'm an A-list elite athlete on planet Earth. Why would I need to see 66 different people to work on my body? My body is a temple. I should only have a couple of people. 66 is an absurd number. I don't even need to contact my lawyers. That's not true. That sounds like an answer. Why should I be believed over my accusers? Well, it's an easy question to answer. What did that mean that I'm coming off of a football field right now? It's tough to answer in a football environment. The answer is uh, I'm, I'm to be believed because what I'm saying is true. What I'm saying is true. Ask anybody in the Houston community. Go ahead and ask anybody what I, what I meant to that community. Go ahead and ask everybody what I, what I was about in that community. Problem is, is if you ask certain people. I mean, these are, these are answers to those questions that you would think are coming. And, and, and the, I, again, I haven't seen the full thing, so I apologize, which apparently, I, I, did I hear those words? I apologize. I apologize if I'm incorrect. But he said he regretted the way that his comments about saying that women were not disrespected by him and how that 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 gets men and women, males, we, women all over the world upset. <laughs> Again, the the numbers mount up and makes it very difficult to to comprehend and believe it just makes it just it's very tough. And I want to believe the guy. God, do I want to believe this guy. I want to believe him on behalf of all my diehard Browns fans who can't believe that they're in this situation. I want, I want to say that on behalf of the league that I've been working for for 20 years. I want to say that on behalf of Deshaun Watson and his family. And I certainly want to say it on behalf of all the women. That goes without saying, but of course I... I, I, I want to say it, but man, it's just so many for us to have to sit here and believe in him saying, well, I, I've, I've been honest all along. It didn't even sound like he could be straight up on some of these responses today. And he has to talk because he's not suspended. He's not on the exempt list. He is a star quarterback for a top-notch team in this league that can win it all this year if things break right with a fan base that's one of the best in sports not dog pound and everybody i've known from back in the day from all those people i met in that school up north as they refer to down in that football loving state of ohio i i honestly don't know what to make of all this except i need more i need more information and while all these lawsuits are sitting out there now, 25 and 26 coming. At least he got out there and spoke, but I'm left wanting more. But what can he say when his, when his, he's, he hasn't settled them. He hasn't addressed them. Yeah. If he says he's sorry, which he has to, he has to at least address that he had problems in Houston, and problems with his the way he conducted himself. So I mean, something's clearly up. Something was clearly up there. 
question is, is what's the up? Uh, I, I, I can't shoot you straight enough. I just don't want to give him credit for standing there and just saying a bunch of words when, you know, there's all I this guess. going I, on. I, I, I hear you. Yeah. It's tough. Let's take a break here on the Rich Eisen Show, 844-204-RICH, number to dial. When we come back, more, more, I mean, the, the drama in the world of golf right now. I mean, their sides are, are being taken. Battle lines are being drawn, to say the least. Brooks Kepka and John Rahm on why they're not going to join the Live Tour, although Pat Perez said he would never do it, and now he is, and now he's waving the flag big time. That's coming up next here on this Tuesday edition of the Rich Eisen Show. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Back here on the Rich Eisen Show, 844-204-RICH, number to dial here on the program. Callaway Rogue ST Driver, baby. Every golf equipment company, you've heard it saying, we're the longest off the tee. But this one is the one built to completely bomb it for real. I use these sticks, and they are incredible. The Rogue ST Drivers have been speed-tuned, that's the SC, ST to be Callaway's fastest, most stable driver ever. There's a new tungsten speed cartridge engineered within it. Gives you more speed on off-center hits. Provides more forgiveness thanks to high MOI. There's a a rogue ST engineered for every player because that's what Callaway's all about. Golfers are going to fit into the Max. That's an incredible combination of distance and forgiveness. There's the Max D if you want a dedicated draw model to help you shape. Your shot, if you want something more low spin, the Max LS gives you a stronger trajectory and more neutral ball flight. The players out there, the Rogue ST Triple Diamond LS, that's the one for you. The compact low spin head that the tour players love. Callaway's thought through every aspect of speed, so all you've got to do is go rogue. Find your Rogue ST driver at callawaygolf.com slash go rogue. And, by the way, on NBC Sports and NBC on Peacock, and Peacock, we're going to be all over the United States Open. That does, in fact, tee off starting on Thursday from Boston, well, Brookline, Massachusetts, Brookline. to be exact. If you want to GPS it, the 122nd United States Open from the Country Club in Brookline, Mass. Thursday, 2 Eastern on NBC and Peacock. So, let's get into it here. You got yourself Brooks Kepka and his biceps and his and his and his and his uh his big game just got married hey great <laughs> so i had no idea yeah i had no idea that's why i didn't play over the, the last couple i of think years. the saudis wanted to get him something off the registry they took his brother oh got it <laughs> so brooks kepka asked about the live tour today and here was his and fuego to use our phrase of the, on the nbc sports on peacock response I'm here. I'm here at the U.S. Open. I'm ready to play U.S. Open. So, and I think, I think it kind of sucks too. Y'all are throwing this black cloud over the um, the U.S. Open, and I mean, it's one of my favorite events. And I don't know why you guys keep doing that, but um, you know, the more legs you give it, the more the more you keep talking about it. I don't understand. I'm trying to focus on the U.S. Open, man. 
Like, I legitimately don't get it. I'm tired of the conversations. I'm tired of all this stuff. Y'all, like I said, y'all are throwing a black cloud on the U.S. Open. I think that sucks. I actually do feel bad for him for once. Because right. it's, I mean, it's a situation. Like, but, we're here to play, and you're talking about some event that happened last week. Well, there's events going to be going on now for the next foreseeable future. I know, but you can't drive a car looking in the rearview mirror, can you? Wouldn't have thought so. He's the one. He's just. He says he feels bad for the USGA for once, I guess. And then for once. when he steps <laughs> out there and he, he can't see his shoes standing in the rough, Jeez. then he'll feel differently about the USGA. Probably. I'll be cursing them when, out. When he turns his ankle stepping on the golf ball he's looking for. But Kepka's brother does play on the Live Tour. He has joined. And as Brooks pointed out, he's a two time winner in this event. But he also hasn't said that he won't be joining in the future. So I kind of understand him getting some questions about it. Hey, man, they're all going to get him. They're all going to get it. And he just didn't want to talk about it. He wants to talk about the U.S. Open and the event and stuff like that. That's just not. I mean, be realistic. That's not real. Brooks, yeah. Can you drive a car looking in the rearview mirror sometimes, though? Um, <laughs> right? Some cars now have, like, instead of the mirror, it's a, it's not, it's a if, camera. I can't have that. So maybe you can. No, I mean, um, now we're parsing if that's the, those are the only sound bites we're getting right here. Well, yeah. that might be the ostrich way of looking at it, right? Bury your head in the sand. We'll talk well, about it next time. Do you think it's a black cloud, though, just by asking these guys questions? Yes, because the tour, it, 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 it is the, the crossroads for this tour. It is coming down the pike. It has arrived. As Alan Shipnuck said in hour number one, it is here to stay. It is totally going to change golf. The PGA is probably going to try and wait this thing out just to see it flame out. That right. There's only eight well, of these. It it's not going to be out. every week. Yeah. And last week, what, Phil shot 10 over for his $200 million. Terrible. Some yeah, of the golf terrible. isn't that great. The graphics look weird. We have no idea about the team concept. Greg Norman is a total a-hole staring at Alan Shipnuck, and he's the face front of this guy, of this whole thing. And, 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 and battle lines are drawn. So, yeah, he doesn't want – it's like he just wants to talk about the U.S. Open, but golf is changing. It is here. It has arrived. But these reporters are just doing their jobs, as kind right. of Alan pointed out. Right, and, and, and his way of he just wants to avoid maybe some of the questions, and he's just like, I'm here to play golf. I'm the two-time winner of this event. Let's talk. John Rahm, let's talk uh, – let's hear what he has to say, uh, the Spaniard. I do see the appeal that other people see towards the live golf um, – I do see some of the, how do I put this delicately, um, points or arguments they can make towards why they prefer it. Uh, to be honest, part of the format is not really appealing to me. Shotgun three days to me is not a golf tournament, no cut. It's that simple. Uh, I want to play against the best in the world in a format that's been going on for hundreds of years. Right? So that's what I want to see. And yeah, money is great. But when Kelly and I, was, this first thing happened, we, we started talking about it. We're like, will our lifestyle change if I got $400 million? No. It will not change one bit. Truth be told, I could retire right now with what I've made and I've lived a very happy life and not play golf again. So uh, I've never really played the game of golf for monetary reasons. I play for the, for the love of the game, and I want to play against the best in the world. I've always been interested in history and legacy. And right now, the PGA Tour has that. There's there's some meaning when you win the Memorial Championship. There's some meaning when you win Arnold Palmer's event at Bay Hill. There's some meaning when you win L.A. 
Torrey, some of these historic venues. And that, to me, matters a lot, right? Uh, I have, you know, after this winning this, this past U.S. Open, you know, only me and Tiger have won at Torrey Pines, and we're both the golf course that we like, making putts on the 18th hole, right? That's a memory I'm going to have forever that not many people can say. So uh, my heart is with the PGA Tour. That's all I can say. It's not my business or my character to judge anybody who, who thinks otherwise. Uh, and for a lot of people, I'm not going to lie, those next three, four years are worth basically their, their retirement plan they're giving them. It's a, it's a very nice compensation to then retire and sail off to the sunset. And if that's what you want, that's fine. So two things. First thing, uh, in The Godfather, uh, one of the best scenes when The Godfather is uh, being offered by uh, Salozzo in The Godfather, a uh, million dollars for uh, um, part of his business. Uh, and um, Don Corleone tells him that uh, the million dollars is peanuts to him. And I believe Solazzo says, if a million dollars is peanuts to you, then to salute. Like, I say that to John Rahm. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, what? Well, I think what he's saying is he's got enough money to live the way that he lives, and he doesn't need another $400 million to up. Like, there's no part of his lifestyle that needs to be upgraded. It wouldn't change. Right. right, so I think that's what he's saying. I get it, but to say that four hundred million dollars wouldn't change I, I, your life, I, I'm. I, I, like, it would change. It would, how he it would change him. the lifestyle of everyone in this room. I think we can agree, uh, and uh, potentially yeah. everybody hearing this and watching it. <laughs> everyone that I know. Okay, but I, I'm. I'm just going to explain what he probably means by that. Is he said he could retire and live the way he wants to live? He and his family. Like an extra four hundred million dollars will not change all that. Although I'm sure there is a phenomenal villa. On Lake Como, he could potentially get on top of everything else that he has. I'm just throwing that out. He could buy Lake Como. Potentially. That's what it sounds like. Very expensive place, though. All right, long story short. Uh, That was an interesting aspect there. How about the the competition part of this thing? It's not real golf. Shotgun start, three rounds, no cut. And that's what Jay Monahan told Jim Nance over the weekend. It's It's exhibitions. It's not real golf. Right, exhibitions against the same... Competitors same people. Okay. all over and over again. Yeah. Well, that can change. Because in case everyone's wondering, like, what the next steps are, you heard Alan Shipnuck say they're going to go for the younger players and basically tell them, right here, right now, you sign with us right here, right now, you will make more on the dotted line than you would make in the entire career of you sticking on the PGA Tour. Right now, Mr. 24-year-old, 25-year-old, 26-year-old. And then suddenly it's just like, well, I thought it was only 48 players. Well, now, no, you know what? We're going to have a larger experience. And the shotgun starts now. You're, you're now 16B. Okay. We'll have a whole bunch of players on the course. It might take a little bit longer, but guess what? That's what happens at your charity events. And those those events get very long, and that might not be real golf. And I, I totally uh, salute John Rahm for saying that. Yeah, That's real that was, golf I the way it's that been. that was a pretty good answer from, from Rahm. So what did he say, for hundreds of years? Is that what he said? Yeah, I mean, they've been playing golf for a couple of years. I know that, but did, did like Braveheart miss the cut once? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I think Longshanks uh, made the cut. Definitely. I mean, you, you get cut if Longshanks didn't make the cut. Well, he got cut also. So I'm just saying. Yeah. R.I.P. <laughs> but this ain't changing. And the, because if you're thinking like they're going to, they'll go for the next kid, they're going to go for the next kid, the next kid, because there isn't an amount of money that I'm sure 
Is there, is there somebody involved on the Saudi side of things saying, nah, it's a little too rich for my blood? <laughs> no. <laughs> At all. For that guy that much? Yeah, maybe. You want, you want to shave a million here, a million there? We could tell M- Yeah. No. We could tell MBS we kind of saved a little money on that guy. So I'm saying they got to figure some accommodation because there's no way around it. It's battle lines are drawn, and Brooks Kepka could sit there all he wants and say, I don't want to talk about it today because well, there's going to be a tomorrow, and there'll be a Monday after the U.S. Open, and this thing's still going to be there. That'll wrap it up for this edition of the Rich Eisen Show. We will be back on Peacock in a moment to wrap up the show. Otherwise, we'll just see you all Wednesday.